0: Season four of let Radio is sponsored by Book Taco, an online program for managing independent reading in grades K through eight. If you're looking for ways to reward your readers that will keep them learning, then Book Taco has solutions for you. I'll share some of them later on in the episode. Welcome back to Litcentric Radio, the podcast that's a literacy coach in your pocket. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Webb. Well, there's an exciting day coming up. It's actually World Book Day. It's going to be this Thursday on April 23rd, the year 2020. So World Book Day, what a great time to actually share some of your favorite books with students, even if you're doing so remotely, and to actually try out some of Litcentric Radio's lessons. Did you know that Litcentric Radio has a growing bundle of lessons every single episode uh, that I share each week? Not only do I share with you my ideas for how to um, use the books that we're reading and uh, trying to build different bridge charts and some of the writing the students can do, but those lessons are written up for you where um, you actually can see the text dependent questions I would ask. And you can print those directly onto sticky notes and stick them right in your books that you have those uh, for when you're actually reading with students. And you can see an example of the bridge chart that's described in the episodes. So if you're like me and you're really highly visual, uh, that can be really easy to process that and understand how the pieces work together. And it makes it a lot easier to try it out with your own students. And there's also the writing task itself that's written out for you and actually on some student paper that you can just print and have students write on directly. And so you can use that as an informative assessment piece. Not only is it good practice for students for writing purposes, uh, but it also gives you a sense of how they're processing uh, the text and some of the information that you provided them and how they took what they learned during the discussion and the building of the bridge chart into writing about the reading and showing what they know. So uh, that growing lesson bundle is available at litcentric.com in the shop tab. And uh, actually you can do those lessons remotely. I'm actually working on a video for you. I'm preparing it in the next couple of days and I'll be sharing it to YouTube and litcentric.com. And I'm gonna go through the steps on how to do a three-step process for remote teaching using something like Litcentric Radio Lessons so it's basically going to be talking about using um, resources in the google suite so things like google meet for the web conferencing software side of things um, using the google classroom to assign uh, some of the writing and things and using google slides to um, make the bridge chart this can all be done virtually as long as your students have access to a device with google and i know that not everyone's in that situation but for those of you who are and still have access to some decent books Uh, I really suggest you tune into that video. We're going to be talking about uh, exactly what those lessons look like and then how do you actually translate that online? It's really actually not very hard, you guys. It does take some thinking through, and if you're new to those tools, that's where the learning comes in. But the teacher in you, I know you're already a good learner because you're listening to a podcast that's all about improving your literacy instruction, so that's a good sign. But, uh, you know, really, it doesn't take that long to learn some of these tools. You'll make a few mistakes along the way, and, uh, you know, if you have any trouble with any of the Google classroom tools, just Google it. Right. I mean, it's not that hard. Just Google it. Somebody's made a YouTube video, which is, again, owned by Google um, or somebody has a blog post or something. Those resources are already out there. And I've used a lot of them myself because I don't normally use Google Classroom when I'm doing professional learning for adults. So I'm learning some things, too and I'm trying to put that to good use and help you think through uh, the way you can use Let's Radio lessons that are gonna be high quality and get your kids thinking and discussing at really high levels so they can produce some work on their own without you that is still good quality work and it's not the equivalent of digital worksheets, which is what I'm seeing a lot of us resorting to. Um, and I don't want us to uh, be limited to that. I think there's other ways that we can support students in addition or maybe in substitution of those things. There's other videos I have available for you at letcentric.com. One that uh, you might find especially helpful right now is a video called Teaching Guided Reading Remotely. And I went ahead and designed a very simple webinar to show you some free tools and minimal tech you can use to get up and running with guided reading with your students, even if you don't have any guided reading books with you at home. There are some tools out there that are free right now for teachers. And uh, I came up with a simple way for you to share those things and give you some goals and some realistic expectations of what that can look like. And I'm actually gonna be adding some more resources to some of those. I have some other guided reading uh, thoughts that I'm gonna put into video and uh, some other types of response activities students can do that are really well worth their time. And again, not just a digital worksheet situation, really they're having to think through and apply some of their strategic Um, Actions that they need to do when not only are they guided reading, but during independent reading, and get them writing and demonstrating their thinking, which is going to be valuable to you when they turn that in. You can see where they are, and it helps give you some good formative assessment feedback and uh, helps you know how and when to intervene next time you get them on the phone or online with you. So, check back. um, I would check back at least once a week at litcentric.com. And uh, the videos that I post, uh, most of them go on YouTube. Some of them go along with some other resources on letcentric.com in the shop tab. Uh, I have a tab in there specifically for let Radio Lessons, but there's also some other um, remote teaching products like the Sound Along Phonics program. Um, There's remote video lessons there, and uh, that's in the product section. And then there's other freebies and things in there as well. So really poke around and see what's new. And I'll keep adding things. And if there's something you're really looking for as far as a solution or maybe um, help you think through other ways that you might be using good pedagogy online, uh, again, we don't have to resort to uh, very basic things. We can actually get a little bit crafty, and I'm happy to help you think through that. I'm actually, I'm enjoying this, actually. I know know it's uh, not all of us are enjoying all these little things, but I like to help teachers problem solve. And if that's something that I can help you do, uh, feel free to contact me, Julie Webb at letcentra.com, and let me know what you'd like help thinking through and we'll figure something out for you. So in today's episode, we're going to take a look at narrative nonfiction and uh, a way that we can think through how to organize that information in order to uh, tell a little bit of a nonfiction story, as well as how to handle those um, additional facts that often float around in our textbooks, little kind of step asides that happen. And we're going to be looking at that through the lens of this beautiful book called Gentle Giant Octopus. It's by Karen Wallace, illustrated by Mike Bostock. And this book is so beautifully illustrated. They're really stunning. And they're, they're made of vibrant watercolors that actually look really lifelike. They almost look like they could be photographs. And the information that's shared in Gentle Giant Octopus is really just the right amount. So I know a lot of nonfiction books that I have while I love them, they are very difficult for elementary students to navigate because they're just inundated with information. But this book really has just the right amount so it doesn't overwhelm students and um, it stays very, very focused in how it's organized. And what I like to use Gentle Giant Octopus for is to explore narrative nonfiction. Now, a lot of folks, when they think narrative nonfiction, they think about a book, like maybe um, the Magic School Bus books. And those are an example of narrative nonfiction. It really is more of a hybrid genre. But with the Magic School Bus books, those are very heavy on the narrative for sure. And here, we're really talking about um, the nonfiction or the informational side of the text uh, really being in the forefront and the narrative acting kind of more like a recount where it's just enough to differentiate the language in the recount section from the straight up factual language that's sprinkled throughout. And it's done really seamlessly and flawlessly by Karen Wallace, the author. So I like to actually show kids this book because the subtle differences are there and I want to help draw them out so that they can actually learn to try some of these strategies for themselves. So let's take a look at today's text, Gentle Giant Octopus. Now, as I mentioned, this text has more of a recount structure where we're following a single gentle giant octopus female. And uh, the basic story plot here is that she um, is carrying eggs and she's going to look for a den that she can hide in so that she can uh, lay her eggs and tend to them over the several months that it'll take before they hatch. And then her eggs finally hatch. And um, unfortunately, With a gentle giant octopus, once the female lays her eggs, she actually dies. So she only lays eggs the one time in her life and very few of the eggs survive. The text actually talks about a a giant octopus might lay about 60,000 eggs, where maybe only two or three of those eggs actually grow into adulthood. So those odds obviously are not good. Um, And those baby octopuses are definitely um, a a favorite snack of a lot of uh, other predators in the ocean. So there aren't very many giant octopuses out there. And they live actually not far from where I'm located in kind of the northern uh, Bay Area of California. They live off the coast um, or the northern coast of the Pacific Ocean. And I don't know if you've ever seen a gentle giant octopus in real life. I actually got to see a beautiful one at the Monterey Bay Aquarium last year. And uh, it wasn't as giant as some of those I've seen on TV for sure. But it's really interesting to see how they can squish up into little corners and hide in little cracks and crevices because they don't have any bones. So it's kind of fascinating to see how they do that and see their suckers and their tentacles and also how they change color. They're really amazing creatures. And uh, I'll read you the first, uh, one of the first parts of the book. The language is quite beautiful. um, And like I said, it really matches the stunning watercolor uh, illustrations. So the text says, a gentle giant octopus jets through the shadows. She's huge like a spaceship. Her eyes glow in the water. Long tentacles fly like ribbons behind her. Silver-backed fish scatter before her. So the language is quite lovely and very descriptive, especially in the more narrative or recount side of the book. And as I mentioned, there's more factual information that's sprinkled throughout, and that's what we're really gonna focus on with our students when we work on our bridge chart. With Book Taco, teachers and students can set reading goals and track their progress. And once those reading goals have been reached, teachers can reward students with some game time right in the BookTaco online platform. There are over 50 games to choose from, and teachers can turn them on or off depending on which games are right for their students or to release certain games when big reading milestones have been reached. It could be a great incentive for kids to keep striving towards achieving their reading goals. My favorite game is called Lights. It's an electrical engineering game where the player has to connect circuits to a power source and LEDs to make them light up. It's really easy to learn and there are four levels of play so students can learn how to play at an easy level before they transition to the harder ones. I haven't even tried those yet. The easy ones were definitely hard enough for me. Another game I like is just simple tic-tac-toe. The old schooler in me really likes those traditional strategy games. In this version though, you can play against another player or against the computer, which is great for individual players. The coolest part is that you can choose a standard three x three grid to play on, or you can play on a five x five grid and even a seven x seven grid. I haven't ventured up that high yet, but I'm looking forward to it. The games in Book Taco are quick to learn and quick to play, and they keep track of scores so students can continue to progress every time they log in. There's such a great reward for working hard and completing assignments and there are nice brain breaks that are still full of learning opportunities. Log on to booktaco.com and learn about games and how the reward system works. That's booktaco.com. So I'm excited about our bridge chart today uh, with the gentle giant octopus. Now, in the questions that I'm asking students, I want them to really start focusing on the language that's used. And it's really not so much about the actual facts or the information in the text, but how that information is expressed by the author and uh, why she used those two different approaches of the narrative versus the more informational factual language. And when we make this bridge chart, I'm actually gonna have students list individual facts, maybe on three by five cards or sticky notes, some just small piece of paper, even scrap paper that you cut up would be fine. And as students listen to the text, I may have she... And as we read the text, probably even the second time we read it together, Um, I would have students list individual facts on those three by five cards so every card has its own fact on it and you can even just call out students like Jose you write this fact or you know Jennifer did you hear a fact great write it you know and it doesn't have to be or you can actually have every kid write every fact however you like to organize it is fine. But you want to make sure that by the end you have um, several copies of these different facts on three by five cards. It's completely fine that students have uh, the same fact written on different cards. It's actually more than fine to have uh, the same fact written on several different cards because we're going to be sorting them out anyways in the end. So, uh, like I said, if you want every kid writing every fact or even you know, put them like in groups of four or three or something and have them share the responsibility of writing out all the facts that they hear because by the end kids are actually going to do some sorting of these facts um, on their own and we're also going to do some of that together on the bridge chart. So we want to make sure all those facts are written out and you as the teacher, you might use some of the facts that the students have written or you may have a pre-written set of facts yourself. Uh, It doesn't really matter but as long as they're there so you can show them how the author decided to organize this information, and we're gonna do that on the bridge chart, and they're going to end up doing that on their own with their group, and they may decide to reorganize the information a bit and change how, um, how this narrative really flows. So once students have written out those three by five cards, I want them to actually sequence the, na- oh, this is shit. So throughout the reading that we do with students with Gentle Giant Octopus uh, the questions that I'm going to ask them during our read aloud are really focused on not so much the specific information, because that's actually pretty easy to draw out. And we're going to do that in our bridge tert. But what I like to focus their attention on is the language, the way that that information or those facts are expressed. And there's definitely different language being used in the narrative side of things, um, as well as in the factual statements that are made. So the language is slightly different and it's quite nuanced. And, <clears throat> and it's quite nuanced. And that's what I would like my students to really dive into with this text. So for the bridge chart, I like to group students, maybe in groups of three or four, something like that. It depends on your students and the age level and things like that. But uh, you definitely want at least three students because there's going to be a lot of facts that they have to write. So if they can really share that job or share that task, it's probably a good idea. So I like to give all those groups like a stack of three by five cards, index cards, or even sticky notes, or even if you just cut up some paper, you know, give them just little rectangle rectangle pieces of paper, that's fine. And I'd probably have them use some kind of a marker. And uh, as I'm reading the book to them, this is probably going to be the second time that I read this book. The first time we're going to read through and, and we're going to focus on the text dependent questions that I have so we can discuss it a bit. But this next time around, their job is to listen for the factual information that's shared. Now, it's important for students to know that the factual information is located in both the narrative side of things as well as the factual statements that they hear because the author has been very seamless about how she shares information about octopi or octopuses. And uh, again, that's the nuance side of thing that I want students to start to understand. So I would probably, instead of having every student write every fact, because there's quite a few, I think in that group of three or four, you can say, okay, um, you know, decide who's gonna start. And the first fact that they hear, that student starts to write that fact on the three by five card. The next fact they hear, the next student can write what they heard, you know, for the next fact and keep going that way. That way they're kind of busy most of the time while they're listening to you, but they're not overwhelmed by having to write down everything. So once students have listened to the book again and they've written out all the facts that they could capture, uh, we're going to go ahead and um, plot some of those on our bridge chart. And you can either use some of the facts that students wrote, or you might decide to have a pre written set of facts that you use just for the chart. So, either way, it's up to you. Um, in the LetCentric Radio lesson that you can find at letcentric.com in the shop tab, that lesson has um, a photograph of the facts that I wrote on sticky notes. And so you can see how this is exactly laid out and which facts I, I selected and things like that. So, that kind of helps. Um, gives you a little guide and makes it a little easier to prep that uh, that lesson. And so what students are going to help me do on the bridge chart with their three by five cards they row, I'll have them set them aside for now and probably bring them back to the carpet with me and let's build this chart together. And I like the chart to be uh, the landscape side so because we're going to move left to right along a line. So I draw a straight line from left to right and that's going to be our nonfiction narrative side of things. And so what students help me do is we go through the text again and we listen carefully on each page as to how the author has grouped the factual information in the narrative portion of the text. Now, just about every page has the narrative side of things and only some of the pages have the factual statements. And um, the author and illustrator, they've done a nice job. When they present that information, the factual statements are always in, um, they're always italicized and the narrative side of things is not. So it actually makes it really easy for students to differentiate those, as well as they start to notice that the placement of the text on the page is a little bit different too. So it's pretty easy to see. Um, but it might be something to point out to them. So as we go through each page again, uh, students listen to how she grouped the facts, and then we're going to do the, we're going to group them together on the chart. So um, maybe the first couple of facts we hear. So the first couple of facts we hear are that uh, giant octopuses have a huge size and they have long tentacles. So it's really about how they look. And so those two things get grouped together. Then the next set of cards, it looks like the author talks about um, that this particular octopus in our narrative storyline is looking for a safe den to hatch eggs. And uh, she defines what a den is. And then she talks about how they fan out their body and float down to the sea floor because that's where they're going to be looking for a den. So those three, you know, three by five cards there, those three scraps of paper get grouped together because that's how the author decided to group them together. So we go through the entire narrative with that. There's about, let's see, I think maybe 13 facts there. So it's not too many. And, um, But we decide how the authors group them and and map them out accordingly on our chart. So it almost looks like a grid, kind of, um, and that's the nonfiction narrative side of things. But then we also have facts that we heard uh, in the informational statements that are in the text, those italicized statements. And there's about, I think, maybe 10 of those. And I'm going to use the lower half of the chart to to map those out. And we do the same process. We group them based on the way she's grouped them. So sometimes there may be a fact on its own, just, you know, one statement. Oftentimes, there may be one statement on a page, but there may be one or two facts embedded in that statement. So like, for example, in one um, one of the pages, she writes that tentacles can sense things and that the suckers on the tentacles are for gripping things. So that was actually one statement but there was two facts in there. So we would group those because she grouped them that way in the book. Okay? So we go ahead and map that out too. So the top half of the chart has the the narrative nonfiction facts and and we've grouped them the way she grouped them in the book and we do the same thing with the informational facts, those statements and group them so that we can see from left to right how the um, how the how the book is organized from beginning to end, and how she decided to group those facts in a way that made sense for her. Then what I'd like uh, students to do with me is I want to focus them in on the specific language differences between narrative nonfiction text and more straight up factual and informative text. So,, um, when it comes to uh, narrative language, especially recount language, remember, we don't have characters and settings and plot lines and things like that here. It's really more of a um, of a recount or almost like personal narrative style without the without the I statements. So uh, here for a recount, you're gonna know, the who, the when, the where, the what, the how, and the why. So that type of information um, is definitely clear to you. There are specific participants in a narrative type of structure. There's also uh, transitions that are more temporal, which means um, based on time. So words like first, later, after, last, or finally, things like that. Uh, There also will likely be action verbs, and they could use the past tense or sometimes the present tense. It depends on uh, the author's choice. And sometimes there are personal pronouns being used. And uh, in our nonfiction narrative side of things here, they talk about one very specific octopus and they refer to her as she, and we follow that one octopus through her journey to find her den. But in the informational side of things, the more factual statements, that language is slightly different. So this is definitely um, language at the sentence level here, because it really isn't more than one sentence being, uh, being crafted at a time. Um, but because it's informational, there's really more of the timeless present tense that's happening. And there's definitely some more technical terms being used. Um, also, it sounds more generalized, so it's not just one specific octopus. So it's not she and, you know, she's looking for her den and she's laying eggs. It's more octopuses live in this part of the ocean, you know, just that generalized general participants um, in that case. So I'm going to focus students on that a little bit so they understand some of the subtle differences there. And then when they go to do their writing task, I actually want them to work together. And I want them to take those facts from the text that they wrote out on those three by five cards. And I want them to organize them in a structure that they think would work to retell this this, uh, book. But in a retell situation here, I don't want them to tell it exactly the way that the author did. I want them to make some decisions about how they group the information and, and both the narrative side of things and the informational side of things. And they might decide to actually take some of the facts from down below on the chart and move them up into the narrative side if that really makes sense to the recount that they've decided to tell or vice versa. So they have total carte blanche for how they organize the information. They may also decide to leave some information out or elaborate on some of the information. And then once they've planned that out together, then I want them to actually uh, retell and craft their own book um, that really emulates Gentle Giant Octopus but is not um, is not a recreation of it, so I definitely think that's a challenging task for students to do. But I know they can do it, especially when they have collaborative partners, and it's definitely something I think you should try. And if you're looking again for ideas of how to do this remotely, these types of lessons, I'll be uh, developing that video um, very shortly. It'll come out in the next few days. If you're on the Litcentric Radio. If you're one of the LitCentric Insiders, which means folks who are on my email list, um, I will definitely be letting you know when that video is available uh, through email. And if you're not a LitCentric Insider, you should definitely become one so you don't miss any of the resources that I'm going to be sharing. Um, I often only share specific resources and freebies with folks on my email list, my LitCentric Insider. So you're definitely going to want to take advantage of that. And uh, to sign up there, you just need to go to litcentric.com. And on the homepage, if you scroll about halfway down, you'll see a big button there that you can click and that will take you to the page where you can sign up. Very easy to do. So keep checking in at letcentric.com for those new resources. Don't feel, um, or don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to reach out if there's a resource you're considering or uh, you want to think through how um, a good quality lesson might look in the online environment. I'm happy to help you do that. And maybe we can even make some new videos inspired by some of your specific needs. And uh, don't forget, follow LitCentric everywhere. If you have a favorite platform like Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, even YouTube, uh, I'm LitCentric everywhere you look. And there's lots of things being shared in those places all the time. And I'd love to hear your ideas and your feedback and uh, what you'd like to hear more of from LitCentric.com. All right, I hope you have a wonderful day at school. So throughout the reading that we do with students with Gentle Giant Octopus, uh, the questions that I'm going to ask them during our read aloud are really focused on not so much the specific information because that's actually pretty easy to draw out, and we're going to do that in our bridge chart. But what I like to focus their attention on is the language, the way that that information or those facts are expressed. And there's definitely different language being used in the narrative side of things Um, as well as in the factual statements that are made. So the language is slightly different and it's quite nuanced. And that's what I would like my students to really dive into with this text. So for the bridge chart, I like to group students, maybe in groups of three or four, something like that. depends on your students and the age level and things like that. But uh, you definitely want at least three students because there's gonna be a lot of facts that they have to write. So if they can really share that job or share that task, it's probably a good idea. So I like to give all those groups like a stack of three by five cards, index cards, or even sticky notes, or even if you just cut up some paper, you know, give them just little rectangle, rectangle pieces of paper, that's fine. And I probably have them use some kind of a marker. And uh, as I'm reading the book to them, this is probably going to be the second time that I read this book. The first time we're going to read through and and we're going to focus on the text dependent questions that I have so we can discuss it a bit. But this next time around, their job is to listen for the factual information that's shared. Now it's important for students to know that the factual information is located in both the narrative side of things as well as the factual statements that they hear because the author has been very seamless about how she shares information about octopi or octopuses. And uh, again, that's the nuanced side of thing that I want students to start to understand. So I would probably, instead of having every student write every fact, because there's quite a few, I think in that group of three or four, you can say, okay, um, you know, decide who's gonna start. And the first fact that they hear, that student starts to write that fact on the three by five card. The next fact they hear, the next student can write what they heard, you know, for the next fact and keep going that way. That way they're kind of busy most of the time while they're listening to you, but they're not overwhelmed by having to write down everything. So, once students have listened to the book again and they've written out all the facts that they could capture, uh, we're going to go ahead and um, plot some of those on our bridge chart. And you can either use some of the facts that students wrote, or you might decide to have a pre written set of facts that you use just for the chart. So, either way, it's up to you. Um, in the LetCentric Radio lesson that you can find at letcentric.com in the shop tab, that lesson has um, a photograph of the facts that I wrote on sticky notes. And so you can see how this is exactly laid out and which facts I I selected and things like that. So that kind of helps, um, gives you a little guide and makes it a little easier to prep that, uh, that lesson. And so what students are gonna help me do on the bridge chart with their three by five cards they wrote, I'll have them set them aside for now and probably bring them back to the carpet with me and let's build this chart together. And I like the chart to be uh, the landscape side. So because we're going to move left to right along a line. So I draw a straight line from left to right. And that's going to be our nonfiction narrative side of things. And so what students help me do is we go through the text again, and we listen carefully on each page as to how the author has grouped the factual information in the narrative portion of the text. Now just about every page has the narrative side of things, and only some of the pages have the factual statements. And um, the author and illustrator, they've done a nice job. When they present that information, the factual statements are always in, um, they're always italicized, and the narrative side of things is not. So it actually makes it really easy for students to differentiate those, as well as they start to notice that the placement of the text on the page is a little bit different too. So it's pretty easy to see. Um, but it might be something to point out to them. So as we go through each page again, uh, students listen to how she grouped the facts and then we're going to do the We're going to group them together on the chart. So the first couple of facts we hear are that uh, giant octopuses have a huge size and they have long tentacles. So it's really about how they look. And so those two things get grouped together. Then the next set of cards, it looks like the author talks about um, that this particular octopus in our narrative storyline is looking for a safe den to hatch eggs. And uh, she defines what a den is. And then she talks about how they fan out their body and float down to the sea floor because that's where they're going to be looking for a den. So those three, you know, three by five cards there, or those three scraps of paper get grouped together because that's how the author decided to group them together. So we go through the entire narrative with that. There's about, let's see, I think maybe 13 facts there. So it's not too many. And, um, but we decide how the authors group them and, and map them out accordingly on our chart. So it almost looks like a grid kind of. Um, and that's the nonfiction narrative side of things. But then we also have facts that we heard uh, in the informational statements that are in the text, those italicized statements. And there's about, I think, maybe 10 of those. And I'm gonna use the lower half of the chart to, to map those out. And we do the same process. We group them based on the way she's grouped them. So sometimes there may be a fact on its own, just you know, one statement. Oftentimes there may be one statement on a page, but there may be one or two facts embedded in that statement. So, like for example, in one of the um one of the pages, she writes that tentacles can sense things. And that the suckers on the tentacles are for gripping things. So that was actually one statement, but there was two facts in there. So we would group those because she grouped them that way in the book. Okay, So we go ahead and map that out too. So the top half of the chart has the the narrative nonfiction facts, and and we've grouped them the way she grouped them in the book. And we do the same thing with the informational facts, those statements, and group them so that we can see from left to right how the book is organized from beginning to end and how she decided to group those facts in a way that made sense for her. Then what I'd like students to do with me is I want to focus them in on the specific language differences between narrative nonfiction text and more straight-up factual and informative text. So um, when it comes to uh, narrative language, especially recount language, remember, we don't have characters and settings and plot lines and things like that here. It's really more of a um, of a recount or almost like personal narrative style without the without the I statements. So uh, here for a recount, you're going to know the who, the when, the where, the what, the how, and the why. So that type of information um, is definitely clear to you. There are specific participants in a narrative type of structure. There's also uh, transitions that are more temporal, which means um, based on time. So words like first, later, after, last, or finally, things like that. Uh, There also will likely be action verbs and they could use the past tense or sometimes the present tense. It depends on uh, the author's choice. And sometimes there are personal pronouns being used. And uh, in our nonfiction narrative side of things here, they talk about one very specific octopus and they refer to her as she, and we follow that one octopus through her journey to find her den. But in the informational side of things, the more factual statements, that language is slightly different. So this is definitely um, language at the sentence level here, because it really isn't more than one sentence being uh, being crafted at a time. Um, But because it's informational, there's really more of the timeless present tense that's happening. And there's definitely some more technical terms being used. Um, Also, it sounds more generalized, so it's not just one specific octopus. So it's not she and you know she's looking for her den and she's laying eggs. It's more octopuses live in this part of the ocean, You know just that generalized, general participants um, in that case. So I'm gonna focus students on that a little bit so they understand some of the subtle differences there. And then when they go to do their writing task, I actually want them to work together and I want them to take those facts from the text that they wrote out on those three by five cards. And I want them to organize them in a structure that they think would work to retell this this, uh, book. But in a retell situation here, I don't want them to tell it exactly the way that the author did. I want them to make some decisions about how they group the information and uh, both the narrative side of things and the informational side of things. And they might decide to actually take some of the facts from down below on the chart and move them up into the narrative side if that really makes sense to the recount that they've decided to tell or vice versa. So they have total carte blanche for how they organize the information. They may also decide to leave some information out or elaborate on some of the information. And then once they've planned that out together, then I want them to actually uh, retell and craft their own book um, that really emulates Gentle Giant Octopus but is not, um, is not a recreation of it. So I definitely think that's a challenging task for students to do, but I know they can do it, especially when they have collaborative partners. And it's definitely something I think you should try. And if you're looking again for ideas of how to do this remotely, these types of lessons, I'll be uh, developing that video um, very shortly. It'll come out in the next few days. If you're one of the lit-centric insiders, which means folks who are on my email list, um, I will definitely be letting you know when that video is available uh, through email. And if you're not a LitCentric Insider, you should definitely become one so you don't miss any of the resources that I'm going to be sharing. Um, I often only share specific resources and freebies with folks on my email list, my LitCentric Insider. So you're definitely going to want to take advantage of that. And uh, to sign up there, you just need to go to litcentric.com. And on the homepage, if you scroll about halfway down, you'll see a big button there that you can click and that will take you to the page where you can sign up. Very easy to do. So keep checking in at letcentric.com for those new resources. Don't hesitate to reach out if there's a resource you're considering or uh, you want to think through how um, a good quality lesson might look in the online environment. I'm happy to help you do that. And maybe we can even make some new videos inspired by some of your specific needs. And uh, don't forget, follow Litcentric everywhere. If you have a favorite platform like Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, even YouTube, uh, I'm Litcentric everywhere you look. And there's lots of things being shared in those places all the time. And I'd love to hear your ideas and your feedback and uh, what you'd like to hear more of from Litcentric.com. All right. I hope you have a wonderful day at school.